Coming up today on The Courier Daily. The U.S. is way behind other countries in the world when it comes to purchasing groceries online. We are, for the most part, in a normal time, like six months ago, 5% of groceries were bought online. In the past month, it was 50%. And so in China, for context, it's like 30% in a pre-COVID world. And a bit later on. I tried to actually recognize that it is a weird time. And actually, when I feel really down, and often, you know, every day it seems like up and downs, it's okay to feel down. I've actually really enjoyed the fact that I'm talking a lot more with Lise, my wife, and my kids. I just feel closer to everyone, even though I don't see them anymore. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 29th of April, and this is The Courier Daily. We're checking in with small businesses around the world for insights on how to adapt and pivot during the global health crisis. And today we're talking supply chains, creativity, and a whole lot more. We're kicking it off with Stefan Ango. He's co-founder and chief product officer of Lumi, which essentially acts as a marketplace and a middleman between you, the owner of an e-commerce company selling toothbrushes, t-shirts, or dog food, and a huge network of sustainable packaging manufacturers. So how's business doing during the pandemic? Well, Stefan's on the line now from Los Angeles. And Stefan, manufacturing is obviously an extremely hot topic right now. Have you guys seen a drop in productivity across all of the factories you regularly work with at Lumi? We have about 2,000 factories that are in our network. And there's a page, if you go to lumi.com slash status, where you can see the overall status of all the factories. So we had been tracking this whole thing pretty early on back in December because, first of all, Lunar New Year happens. And that is something where... You know, between January, February, March, there's a lot of disruption in the supply chain in China that usually takes factories offline for, you know, anywhere up to a month. So we were already very attuned to what was going on. And we were conscious that it would probably start to extend some lead times. And that is really more so not just on the factories closing because many of them were already closed, but also on freight, ocean freight and air freight from China. In the U.S., you know, most of the manufacturers are still online because we are specifically focused on packaging. So there's, there's all kinds of different products. I can really only speak to packaging specifically, but the U.S. has a really vertically integrated packaging manufacturing ecosystem. So we grow all of the trees to make all of the paper, to make all of the boxes and the toilet paper and all those supplies. So they're considered essential. And for the most part, they haven't gone down aside from one or two exceptions that are typically like family-owned factories that are in our network where for them, you know, if a couple people get sick, it really means they have to shut down. But aside from that, it's been okay. And now that it feels like we're kind of past the peak at least, hopefully we will be seeing generally things going back to normal. It was really interesting for us to be tracking it so early on because we saw from China, South Korea, other places, what measures they were implementing implementing face masks and cleaning procedures, temperature checks, all of those things they were doing back in December and January. And a lot of our customers operate their own warehouses, distribution centers, that kind of stuff. And so we were letting people know, hey, you know, these are some of the practices that you should be thinking about implementing. And it really took another month or two for those things to get rolled out and and for the government here in the US to say like, actually, yeah, you should do those things. You guys have a really great vantage point on, you know, the direct to consumer market, because when people stop using Lumi, you could probably assume that people are not selling as many things online, right? I mean, have you seen sales drop during this crisis? 
I think, first of all, it's really important to compartmentalize the different issues that are going on. There was a general thing that I've been talking about with a lot of companies on my podcast, Plug, (laughs) Well Made, which is I interview a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and operational people, and we work with a lot of them. And so the whole notion of, you know, customer acquisition costs going up and, you know, Instagram and Facebook being somewhat of a gatekeeper in, in a certain sense you know, the whole promise of direct-to-consumer was like, we're going to remove the middleman, which is the retailer. But now it feels like Instagram is the middleman because they're charging so much for ads. That was a separate narrative from COVID. And and that is something that needs to be solved as a separate problem. As far as what's going on with brands, you know, we we track that very closely. We're in touch with all of the companies who, who work with us. And There's definitely a bifurcation of what's going on. Some companies are doing better than ever. Some companies are doing worse than ever. The ones that are doing better than ever are the ones, some of them you mentioned, you know, food companies. Alcohol is doing amazing. We have several wine brands that use Lumi and they're going through the roof. Any sort of medical health type of products, pet products, babies, like all of that kind of stuff is doing very well. And then obviously the categories that are doing less well are fashion and apparel, any outdoor type of gear, travel gear, all of that type of stuff that you would expect is not doing as well. Some of it is really getting pummeled and that's really rough for them. There's a lot of different things going on at the same time and it's going to take us several months or years to figure out what was the cause and effect of different things. You know, net-net, things are definitely down, even though there's some companies doing better than ever. Overarchingly, I think that for the most part, this is definitely a a negative effect on most direct-to-consumer brands short-term. Long-term, I think it's a very positive thing. I mean, we're seeing all kinds of new behaviors that people are adopting that they never did before. In the U.S., one something that we've been tracking very closely is that the U.S. is way behind other countries in the world when it comes to purchasing groceries online. We are, for the most part, in a normal time, like six months ago, 5% of groceries were bought online. In the past month, it was 50%. And so... In China, for context, it's like 30% in a pre-COVID world. But in the US, we have a different landscape. And this is like accelerating all all kinds of behaviors. So I think long term, when we get out of this, people will have discovered that buying toilet paper online, buying groceries online, buying clothes online, all of these things are actually like, you know, pretty robust now. And there's a lot of great brands. And so long term, I think it's actually a really big boost for the ecosystem. What's the health of Lumia as a company in general right now? I mean, every startup in the world has seemingly been hit by this, furloughing staff, going under completely. Are you guys in a good position to survive this? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, things are lower than we would have expected or hoped overall. But I think that the stuff that we're working on is really aligned with where the world is going. We're focused on e-commerce, which is just kind of having this amazing new renaissance. Obviously, we don't hope for this type of situation to happen, but a lot of our work is on supply chain resiliency. And this is a huge problem that people are trying to figure out right now. Our philosophy is we take a lot of inspiration from what's going on with cloud computing and trying to bring that over to the physical supply chain. So we're on a Zoom call right now. I'm sure that everyone who's listening has been on a Zoom call in the past week or day even. Zoom had 10 million active users in December. 
And they just announced yesterday that they have 300 million active users. You know, the quality and everything is pretty good. I mean, to me, it doesn't seem any different than before. And so when you think about the fact that Zoom was able to scale 30x, just like overnight, this was not a planned thing. They, it's unexpected that they had to scale this quickly, this smoothly. That would be so hard to do in the physical world. Going that fast and keeping the level of service that good is almost impossible. And so it generally backs up our philosophy that we want to make supply chain as scalable as the web. We want all the same concepts of load balancing, redundancy, network regions, all of those things that allow you to like quickly expand production, scale it back down if you need to, move from one geography to another, expand to Europe, expand to Australia. All of those different things should be as easy as they are in the digital world, in the physical world. And then the last point is just that the way that packaging historically has been bought and sold is really through a very regional network of salespeople. And so you talk to your rep who comes to your office and you have this relationship. They have a relationship with the factories that are in your city. It's a very old school thing. A lot of the manufacturers in our network have been operating, some of them for more than 150 years. So they're coming online now and online collaboration, I think is going to be here to stay. I think we've just unlocked something as a society that is like, oh, actually the technology is here and we can use this. And so managing your supply chain online now becomes possible. You don't have to do it through just phone calls and, and in-person meetings. I think all of those trends are really, really good for us. And it's just kind of accelerating this progress that you know we didn't expect to happen like this. At the same time, our customers are some of these brands that you know are, are dealing with a lot of their struggling times. And so it's our job right now to support them, make sure they stay online, push customers to them, we have more followers on Instagram than many of our customers. We're just trying to kind of keep them up afloat by letting people know they make great products and to buy from them. Finally, you guys just about a week or two ago launched a really fantastic initiative called Slash Packaging. What's that all about? Yeah, that is a big project that I was working on personally for a few months, but we announced it on Earth Day. The idea there, it's not particularly related to Lumi, except that we have a platform where we can talk about it. The idea is to have every brand, every company that you can think of, have a page on their website at slash packaging. So if you're Nike, it would be nike.com slash packaging. And on that page, you would talk about your philosophy around packaging, what you're doing to reduce the amount of packaging, what you're doing to help consumers know how to dispose or reuse your packaging where you want to go next, what are the things that are still unsolved that you are planning to work on. And the reason why we're doing that is, first of all, there's a huge shift of consumers who want to buy from companies that are thinking about this, and they have a hard time finding this and the companies that do this. The information is very fragmented and hard to find. So standardizing around that URL sets up the expectation that if you're buying from a company, you can go to that URL and find some useful information on there. And then also for companies as an ecosystem to learn from each other, to open source their knowledge about what they've done, what has worked for them. There's very few studies and things that are published out there. Patagonia had a really great one about why they continued. They decided to keep using polymailers despite the fact that they're made of plastic because they found that the footprint was much lower than allowing the product to get damaged in transit and all the return shipping. And so 
that actually was a pretty seminal piece that was published, I think, like six years ago. But it's one of the very rare pieces. And so we really wanted to kind of promote the idea that everyone should be sharing this knowledge and making it easily available and that consumers would be interested in that. So if you go to slashpackaging.org, you can actually search for any company in the world and it'll show you their listing as a company and show you what they have currently on their slash packaging page which most for the most part, it's a 404. Yeah, I saw your co-founder, Jesse, kind of joking around about Apple slash packaging, nothing's there. <laughs> yeah, and we have a very helpful thing. You click on a button and it will automatically pre-fill a tweet that just says like, hey, Apple, you should you know consider adding a slash packaging page. We've had people search for over 250 different brands and participate in calling them out and asking them. And we've had 30 companies launched with us. And so they did all the work of preparing their pages. There's some really useful and information on there already from lots of companies. And we're adding some every single day. Now that people have found out about this and companies are are seeing all this great inspiration, they're like, oh, actually, we can put this together super easy. We'll have it up in a week. So I've heard just over the past couple of days from about 30 more companies who are working on it right now. And what I'm really curious to see is a year from now when we are at Earth Day 2021, how many companies will we have in the director? I'm hoping it's in the hundreds or thousands. So I think that would be great. Next up, Us2 is a global digital studio best known, probably, for creating the wildly popular game Monument Valley. It was founded by two best friends, Mills and Sinks, back in 2004 in London, and they grew it into a global company with hundreds of team members. If you tuned into Courier's podcast Workshop last year, you might have heard this story. Well, a bit earlier, I caught up with Mills again to hear if he'd change anything if he were to start his company right now in the middle of the crisis. This is going to change the game, I think. And I think this perhaps in some ways levels the playing field a bit. Like just because you're a big company like us do doesn't mean that you're going to come out of this in a better position than a brand new thing that hadn't even thought about the creative world yet. If you were starting us two right now, how would you start it differently? I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, really? When did you start us two? 2004. Four years before the, the recession. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a very basic level, since myself started us to and very much our studios our physical studios were a massive part of who we were actually it was a place that enabled us to pull together people could come to our studio and be in our little world escape from the rest of the world and actually it was a time where we weren't so digitally connected fast forward 15 years or so we were actually able to leave our studios a week and a half two weeks early in some of our studios because we're actually very well set up to be remote i mean it's a natural practice for us now with our clients with our with ourselves as well I do think starting now, I doubt I would see a physical studio as, as such an important place. I think having a, a centralized area that people are able to go to is important. You wouldn't have a full team there anymore, I don't think. If you just graduated with uh, whatever, a design degree, you're a, a young, ambitious designer, and you have the option of starting your own practice right now or joining a giant, giant company and having stability would you go for option A or option B? There's more opportunities perhaps at option B, but it's obviously highly riskier. Yeah, I mean, uh, funny enough, that is the very, the exact question I asked myself, like actually like 20 years ago when me, when me and Sinks first left college, I had that option of the bigger, very established design company. And I actually took the decision to join basically a complete startup, like two crazy founders that basically wanted to hire me and Sinks together. And they thought I thought that was so brilliant that they were willing to take a risk on two complete jokers that I went that route. And 
I, I didn't like fitting into established things. I like to start brand new things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've got, I mean, obviously security is a really important thing for people. So I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for taking that bigger route. And I think you'd learn just as many things in the big company. You know, if I think of the sort of companies that we invest in now, people, a lot of them have, have realized that they've been in bigger organizations where they found a problem or they found, you know, process to slow them down. And, and because of that, they come up with, solutions to that i actually think as long as you go anywhere where you're going to get some sort of quality learning and brilliant this minute you're not learning anymore and you're just doing get out what about monument valley you guys made monument valley people are at home are they are downloads surging downloads have definitely gone up i mean we're not you know monument valley isn't a live game as such i think i definitely know that anyone who's got their big like eve online like big multiplayer those things are surging massively because I think obviously people are using a lot of their time replacing boredom with that. I think we've definitely seen an uptick. I mean, we made Monument Valley free the other day as a sort of digital hug, we called it. And we had 3 million downloads in a week. So, you know, it shows that the appetite for something that's still six years old, although that was number two, actually. It's funny because our game side, us two games, is obviously not reliant on clients. But we are in a very heavy investment period right now. We, we moved over the last year, we've moved to a structure that allows us to co-develop three games at once, which is, again, another new thing for us that we're learning how to do. You know, there we've actually got this amazing studio down in Oval, South London, of which we just actually doubled the size of the studio. So there's me telling you that I wouldn't, if I started today, that I wouldn't take on studio space, while at the same time doubling the size of the studio because it's my uh, little mini Pixar. And just as we moved in there, we had to move out. And actually, I think I failed to recognize the reality of many people's positions is not that they have like a spare attic room that they're able to kind of dance and really have a lot, you know, shut off from their own family and just focus. And a lot of people, certainly the younger members of the Us Two Games crew, are, you know, might be working on a kitchen desk. And, you know, if you think that we're investing like three and a half million pounds into our, per new game, and right now, one of our biggest bets ever, which hopefully launches, well, is definitely going to be delayed now, you know, within this year, is now being developed by 16 people around, you know, different parts of London and Europe, may I add. So I think we, we've had to do a lot and rightfully so work on managing mental health because that's the biggest strain and stress on leadership in terms of just managing something that ultimately ever, we had just taken that new studio space next to our other studio so that this particular team, the 16 of them, would be right in with one another, no distractions. Now it's the opposite of that. So we're lucky that uh, for me, as us two, we've got a sort of a business that we've, client services definitely is something we're continuously, re, you know, keeping an eye on because obviously that we have to rely on clients and we have to find, continuously find new work. Games, we just have to be very focused on, on people's mental health to allow them to be creative. And the investment side is something that right now we've, again, we've sort of taken our foot off the pedal in terms of finding new companies and more moved to a stage of it of focusing more of our energy on supporting the companies we've already invested in and helping them through stuff so us two is in a good place just like everyone else you happen to you know be very wary of costs and you happen to be very clear with communication in terms of people's futures because people are naturally worried how are you staying sane every day right that's a good question whether it's the right thing or not i like to i definitely like to have a few beers at the end of the day uh, and those and sometimes those beers seem to be four o'clock i get up early now i go for a run i've realized that that is important for me to get out not least that I've learned that apparently that's when you get your melatonin, which I used to take lots of pills for, so now I don't have to pay for that. I then get back in, take my ADHD pills that I take, and then I 
other than Wednesdays, which is where I've got my board meetings, I, I try to be very free flow. So I try not to. And in fact, I don't really have any meetings. So I just, if I feel it, I'll go for it. I try to actually recognize that it is a weird time. And actually, when I feel really down and often, you know, every day it seems like up and downs, it's okay to feel down. I've actually really enjoyed the fact that I'm talking a lot more with Lisa, my wife and my kids. I just feel closer to everyone, even though I don't see them anymore. And that's it for today's show. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to Courier Weekly, our email newsletter, for more stories of pivoting, adapting and growing. Head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily is back again on Thursday.